name is Fred, by the way. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I would love to meet you on the way out. I really am glad that you are with us today to, to celebrate and <coughs> to study God's Word together. Um, the first research paper that I ever wrote was, I think I was in middle school, and it was on colorblindness. Um, and, and in doing that research paper, I discovered something that I never had considered before, and it's actually stuck with me, and it's this. It's that most people don't realize they're colorblind until they take a colorblindness test because they have no way of knowing that the colors they experience are different than the colors that, that non-colorblind people experience. And so this is what I mean by a colorblind test. It's something as simple as this. And there's, there's a series of them that are different colors to help people to distinguish uh, if they're colorblind and what kind of colorblindness they have. For example, if you're not colorblind in this particular type of colorblindness, you see a number in that circle, in that gray circle. What number do you see? 12. Congratulations, y'all aren't colorblind when it comes to gray and orange. If you were colorblind in this way, you would just see a gray circle. You couldn't make out the numbers. And a lot of times when people, uh, for people who are colorblind, it's tests like these that they discover, oh, I'm supposed to see something and I don't, and they discover that they're colorblind. Because they don't know that the red that they see is different than the red that you see. They have no way of knowing that. They don't know that the green that they see is different than the green that you see. They don't know that, that when somebody says, man, isn't that colorful, isn't it vibrant, that their vibrant is any different than your vibrant. And so they're, they're, they're colorblind, and, and they don't see any difference, and they don't see any different. They don't know that they see any difference until they're exposed to something like this, and then they realize that they do. And that's what we're going to see today in our text, because today, church, we're going to see someone who thinks that they see correctly. They think that, that what they're doing is right and that they see clearly, but what we're going to see is that in actuality, they're blind. But what we're also going to see is the resurrection is the invitation for them to see clearly. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, We're going to be in verses 1 through 19. If you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. Uh, In in that Bible, we're going to be on page 760. Now, if you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. We would love for you to have a tangible Bible uh, in your possession. Uh, You can also, though, if you want, download the Bible app. We're on the Bible app. If you click under Events, click under Fellowship Asheville, our announcements are there. Um, The text for today is there, and some questions to help you process through the the text is there as well. And as you're turning there, I just want to tell you a little bit about where we are in this series called Unsubscribed, because we've been going through this series leading up to Easter and after Easter, where we're looking at how Jesus deals with people who have doubts and people who have fears, and people who have these unmet expectations on God. And what we've seen time and time again is that when Jesus interacts with these people with with doubt and fears and unmet expectations, he does the same thing for them that he does for us, and that, that there is no shame and there is no scorning. There is truth and there is clarity, but there is never shame in that. And then, and then at Easter, we've begun to see this little shift and see something a little bit different because now we're not just seeing people who have unsubscribed from their faith. We're seeing ways to resubscribe to your faith. 
And, and, and we've seen things like this, like the resurrection is your invitation to, to return. It's your invitation to experience. It's your invitation to follow. That we've seen that the resurrection is your invitation to return, which means to go back to the faith that you left. It's the whole idea that if you've unsubscribed, you can resubscribe. We've seen that the invitation, the resurrection is your invitation to experience. That by faith, you get to have this relationship with God that is real and that is, that is tangible. And then, and then we've seen that the resurrection is your invitation to follow, to become this learner, to become a disciple of Jesus. But today we're going to see this, this other part, this critical part to, to resubscribing. And it's interesting is I think it's in just the right spot. Because today we're going to see that the resurrection is your invitation to see. And see, and here's what we think sometimes. Sometimes we think, well, when I see, I will have faith. When I see, I will take the step of faith. When I see, I will trust. But what we see time and time again in, in people that I counsel and in reading the scriptures and being a pastor is that actually just the opposite happens. It's oftentimes after we take that step of faith, after we, we, we commit our trust to Jesus, after we say yes to Jesus, that we actually get to see then what we couldn't see before. It's when you say yes to Jesus and you lay down that doubt and fear and unmet expectations about God, something amazing happens and that you get to see God for who he really is then. Now, some of you, this may sound scary, right, to see who God really is. Or some of you, you may not be interested at all. Some of you, uh, like my pastor that I grew up with used to say, some of you have a drug problem today. Your mama drug you to church, right? Because it's Mother's Day, and she said, this is the only gift you can give me is come to church with me, right? And so for you to have this relationship with God where you get to see him for who he really is, honestly, that doesn't sound appealing to me. Well, here's something that I've got for you, and it's this, and this is what we're going to see in our text today, is that you may not be looking for Jesus, but he is looking for you, right? And all the mamas nod their heads. You may not be looking for Jesus, but he is looking for you. And what we're going to see is we're going to see this guy named Saul, who's not looking for Jesus. As a matter of fact, he is persecuting the people of Jesus. Now, his name is Saul. Uh, God changes his name later and has him go by Paul. And just so you know, I might call them either or. I might call him Saul. I might call him Paul. I actually worked through my manuscript thinking that I typed Saul every single time because I was really working on making sure I call him by the name that we're going to see in the text today. And so I did one of those find and replace things. And nine times I wrote Paul instead of Saul. So I might go back and forth. Just know I'm talking about the same person, all right? Saul is Paul. Paul is Saul. But I'm going to try to talk about Saul because that's who we're talking about here in this text. Well, let's, let's pick up in chapter 9, and we'll just do verses 1 and 2 right now. And I just want you to look at, at who this guy Saul is. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
And so what Saul was doing is he was persecuting the early church. Now, to catch you up, what's happened in the church is that, is that you have this Jewish faith, and they've got, they've got a temple in Jerusalem, which is the place to go. And then they've, got, then they've got temples also spread about all through Israel where people could gather together and worship. And, and, and things were going just fine for them until this guy named Jesus showed up, until his ministry started. And then people started following him, and he started saying things that seemed either crazy, like he was crazy, or that he was lying, or that he might actually be true, because the stuff that he was saying was that in John 14, he said, listen, this is what he said to his disciples. He said, he said I am the truth and the life and the way, and no one, the truth, the light, and the way, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, that was a very bold statement because he was saying to a group of people who already believed in God and a group of people who understood that if they were to worship God and connect with God, they have to go to the temple to do that and and go through sacrifices and go through these rituals and obey enough of the law for God to like them. And this guy, Jesus, stood up and said, actually, no, the way to have a relationship with that God is through me. And that's what Saul grew up knowing is that the temple is where you met with God. And then Jesus gathered this following of people, but then he was crucified. And he was dead. And then in Saul's point of view, he heard these stories of a thing called the resurrection. Where this guy who said he was God hung on a cross and died. And then people said he was still alive. But in Saul's mind, that couldn't be true. And in Saul's mind, these Jesus people, these followers of the way, is what they called themselves before the the word church came about. They were called the way because of what Jesus said, that he is the truth, the light, and the way. And no one comes to the Father except through him. In Paul's mind, they needed to get out of the temple because they were this cult that was rising up. They were causing disturbances among the peace of the religion of of Jerusalem and and the peace of the Jewish faith. And so Saul's goal was to get rid of them, to imprison them, to beat them, to kill them if necessary. But here's the kicker. Saul did all of that with the blessing of his church, with the blessing of the Jewish faith. The high priest, which was like the guy in charge, gave him letters to do what he needed to do. And so in Paul and Saul, we see something different than somebody who unsubscribed from their faith. Because in him, we see somebody who simply subscribed to the wrong faith, subscribed to a different faith. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with him. And maybe this is you, or maybe this is someone you know that you haven't unsubscribed. You're just subscribed to a different place. And, and here's what, what happens in, in your thinking a lot, if this is you or if it's someone you know, is that the thinking is, as long as I am sincere about my faith, God will be pleased with that. That I'm doing the best I can, I'm doing more good than I'm doing bad, and I'm sincere about what I believe. And, 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 and when you have that thinking and that train of thought, it doesn't matter what you're sincere about as long as you're sincere about it. And so you could be sincere about a different religion 
and that God will be pleased with that because you're sincere. You can be sincere about no religion, but as long as you're sincere about it, God will be okay with that. Or, or you can be sincere about faith being in you, and, and as long as you're okay with that and sincere about that, then God will be okay with that. Or your faith can be sincerely in another person, and that all sounds great in media and on all the socials, but the problem is it doesn't ring true with the Bible. It doesn't ring true with what Jesus said about people who follow him. That he said he was the truth, the light, and the way. And if anybody wants to have a relationship with a father, they have to have a relationship with him. And so the fact of the matter is, you can be very sincere about your faith, but you can still be sincerely wrong when it comes to the Bible. But here's what I want you to hear. Because if I left it at that, that would just be mean and harsh. But here's what we're going to see today is we're going to see that we have a God who will go to any length, any length, for you to resubscribe or for you to subscribe, for you to say yes to Jesus. And so you may not be looking for Jesus, but listen, y'all, he is looking for you. Look at this in verse 3. So Saul gets these letters to, to go to Damascus and to and to punish and beat and kill and, and hold captive the people that are followers of Jesus. And so in verse 3 it says, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And let's put ourselves in Saul's shoes, All right, just for a minute. He's this Jewish guy, and, and in his mind, he's actually a really good, devout Jew. That everything he's doing, no matter how it appears to us, everything that he's doing he thinks he's doing the right thing, right? As a matter of fact, in another book in the Bible, he would even say that, that if you were to take all the Jews and line them up, he was actually the best one, right? He was God's gold star student. And so, so to him, what we're about to see isn't a surprise that God would talk to him because he considers, him, he considers himself, like I said, one of God's gold star students. But what we're gonna see is what God says to him when he shows up, is going to blow his mind. And every category that he has is about to be blown up. So look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, so, so this light shone around him, and falling to the ground, he, had, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. So this light shines down on him, and I believe he knows it's God. And God says his name. And not only says his name, but when you look in the language, he says it in his language. He says it in Hebrew. And so God speaks Saul's language, and God knows his name. And y'all, this is the God that will track you down and, and find you even when you're not looking for him. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows the language you speak. And what God is about to say is going to dramatically shift Saul's subscription um, in verse 4, he says, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? What does God say? Why are you persecuting me? So God shows up and God speaks to, to Saul. And I believe Saul isn't surprised at all that God speaks to him because he thinks he is a guy, he is a gold star student in God's eyes. No surprise that God would stand up and speak to him. That in his mind, he's good enough. But what God said, he never saw coming. 
Because God spoke and asked Saul why he was persecuting God. You see, Saul thinks he has been fighting for God this whole time. But what he just heard is that he's actually been fighting against God. Now, this is Saul's color blindness test moment, right? Because up until this point, he's been thinking he sees clearly. And now somebody puts that gray circle in front of him and they say, what number do you see? And his response is, number? What do you mean number? I just see a gray circle. You see, it's this moment where, where he thinks he's right and God's about to show him that he's wrong. Now, keep in mind, he was raised in this Hebrew home, and so he grew up memorizing his Old Testament. As a matter of fact, that's how kids learn to read is by memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you imagine being a six-year-old memorizing the book of Leviticus? Because that's what they did. And by the age of eight or nine, they had those first five books memorized in total. Can you imagine? And so Saul knew his Old Testament because to him that was his Bible. And he knew the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joseph. And he knew that when God showed up to speak to his people, he did it for one of two reasons. One, he did it for revelation. That he would show up to, to people and he would say, this is who I am. I am your healer. I am your provider. But then he would also do it for instruction. That not only would they hear like who God is, but they would hear what God wants them to do. And this is what Saul has in his mind, which is why he says this in verse 5. He says, and he said, who are you, Lord? Now, I believe Saul knew it was God speaking because in his his mind, if a light shines from heaven and somebody speaks, it's got to be God. There was no other choice. But what he's asking here is he's like, all right, God, what have you got for me? You're going to tell me something about you that is real and that is authentic, and I'm going to be in the line of Moses and Abraham. I'm going to be in the line of Joseph because the God from heaven is speaking to me, and he's going to tell me something about who he is, which is why he says, who are you? Now, what God is about to say to him is going to show him how sincerely wrong that he's been. And it's going to be the part that blows his mind. Because in verse 5, it says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Oh, snap, is what Paul's thinking. Because he's thinking, I, you mean the, the Jesus that was hung on the cross? Like, he's dead somewhere. And he's thinking, I've heard stories about the resurrection, but I've also heard stories of the Roman guards say they saw somebody take the body away. That's the story that's getting circulated. Jesus' body is rotting somewhere. We just don't know where. But yet, now, this voice that is God speaks to him. Oh, everybody take your, take your beeper out. Turn that off. Thank you. Um, but now, <laughs> but now, this God who's speaking to him that is very much alive and well says that, that this God is Jesus. 
and that Jesus is God, that they're one and the same. And y'all, for him, I'm sure this was incredibly mind-blowing because, because what he also can connect the dots now is that when God says, why are you persecuting me? It's Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? And so that the people that he's been persecuting, the way, the people that he's been throwing in prison and beating, and in some cases standing there while they've been killed, if not killing them themselves, that this Jesus is that Jesus. And that when he's attacked and, and hurt his people, he's done it to God himself. He's done it to Jesus. And so not only is Jesus God, but he's seen that Jesus dwells with his people. And when you hurt one of his people, you're hurting him. Now, I want us to take a minute and consider this, too, because Jesus is saying this to Saul, but he's saying it through Saul to us, that we don't call ourselves the way. We call ourselves the church. And and we don't just call ourselves a church either. We call ourselves Fellowship Asheville, Fellowship Weaverville. And now we got this fancy Fellowship WNC. But, but we are the people of Jesus. And what Jesus is showing us is that he is intimately connected to us. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ. Because just like a husband and wife are one, the church is Jesus' bride. And we are one with our groom, who is, who is Jesus. And what we do to and for Jesus' bride, we do to and for Jesus. It's like being married. For those of us who are married, like, if you do something to my wife, you're doing something to me. Right? And if you do something to me, you're doing something to her. We are one. And, and Jesus and his people are one. And so for us, this is, this is kind of how it, how, it, how it plays out with us, that this concept of, of oneness between Jesus and his church runs through the New Testament, and it finds its way all the way here to Asheville, so that, so that even when, when, as Caleb talked about, you take those connect cards and, and you drop them in the offering box. Like, we got offering boxes here, and that's where your tithe goes, or you can give online. But what's important for you to know is that when you give to this church, you're not giving to an organization, you're giving to Jesus. And because you're giving to Jesus, that gift is connected to everything that Jesus is doing in the world, everything that Jesus is doing in this church. When you give, you're just not giving so we get a paycheck. Thank you very much, by the way. I do appreciate that. But when you give, you get to give to be a part of what God is doing, of, of serving at Oakley Elementary, of being there for those kids to, to have fun at the jump houses, being there to help the family that doesn't have a home, just by putting your offering in the box. You get to be a part of that because Jesus is doing that. You get to be a part. We have a little counseling office down there, and y'all, lives are changed in that office. And you may have never stepped foot in that office, but you get to be a part of that life change. Lives are changed right here on Sunday morning from hearing God's word be taught. Even if your life isn't being changed today, somebody's is, and you get to be a part of that because Jesus is doing it. So when you give, you're not just giving to an organization. You're giving to what Jesus is doing. You're giving to Jesus himself. Even as a church, we work for unity, not only unity in and amongst each other, but unity in this city. And I'm part of a group of pastors that are, that are Baptists, that are, that are like we are, that are Southern Baptists, that are Methodists, that are Anglican, that are Presbyterian. And we come together and we pray together and we, we share our struggles together and we share our joys together and we have a vision for this city together of the gospel to, to be a part of, of, of the culture of this city. 
And we do that not just so that we can get along better, not just so we can have shoulders to cry on of people who understand. We do that because this is Jesus' work. Jesus is intimately connected to the church. And it's also why when, 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 when people do stuff that, that undermine the church, it's considered evil in the New Testament. Like when people gossip in the church, it's considered evil. It's not because you're hurting the person that you're gossiping about. Like that's true. But it's considered evil because you're hurting Jesus. Because he's working and and he's moving in that person's life. And you're gossiping against what Jesus is doing. That's why it's considered evil. It's why church division can't be tolerated because, because you're not dividing a group of people, you're dividing Jesus. And that's why it's considered evil. And so you see, church, we aren't just one because we believe the same thing. We're one because, because we have the same God who interconnects all of us. That Jesus is that intimately connected with the church. He's what makes us one. Now, this is the revelation that Saul got, which blew his mind, but but the instruction, I think, is going to be equally mind-blowing for Saul. Because look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was blind. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And, and, and what strikes me as interesting about this is that here's Saul with this letter from the, the high priest to go into Damascus with every power and authority that he has and to rule the roost there. And so he's heading to Damascus prideful and he's heading to Damascus with a job to do and then God interrupts. The God who knows his name and speaks his language interrupts and now he's being led into Damascus blind and by the hand of somebody who is with him. And where he started that road to Damascus one way, he ended it a completely another way. Where he started prideful, he ended humble. And I would say even a touch of humiliation. Because oftentimes, God has to take us through humiliation to make us humble, right? And that's where Paul is. But here's what else I love about this. The guys that were with Paul, they heard the voice, but they didn't see the light. You see, God is after Saul. He's got a plan for those other guys. That's later. He's after Saul. And God will go to any length to get you just like he did for Saul. And that's what I love about our God is he's that deeply personal. My mother-in-law tells this story of, of, of her coming to faith. And if you knew the, the, the context of her story, you would understand this a little bit. But she said she had this picture of Jesus, and this was when she was younger, that he just kind of appeared to her either in a dream or a vision. I, I haven't quite figured that part out, but that he was dancing. And to me, that sounds silly and ridiculous because I don't have a dancing Jesus. But to her, that's exactly what she needed to see because she needed a dancing Jesus. That's the links that God will go to. 
and Jesus has met you. If I, had, if I were to have every person that said yes to Jesus stand up right now and tell you story one, we'd be here till like next week. But two, every story would be different. Even if two of y'all came to Christ at the same time, at the same meeting, same place, your stories would be different because our God is that creative. Let's look at verse, let's look at the next verse, because now we're going to be introduced to this guy named Ananias. And in him, we get to see what this subscribed life looks like. And I'm going to go through this pretty fast. But, but in him, because he's already said yes to Jesus, and I want you to watch his reaction to God speaking versus Saul's reaction. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, here I am, Lord. Notice the difference. What does Saul say when God speaks? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? What have you got for me? When Ananias hears God speaks, he says, here I am. Saul ends with a question mark. Ananias ends with a period. Right? And I'm going to get a little preachy here right now. Right? Because here's the deal. When you say yes to Jesus, your faith is based on a period, not a question mark. Right? Every revelation you need about God is seen in Jesus. Every promise that God has given has been answered yes in Jesus. There are no more question marks about God because we see Jesus. No additional revelation is needed. If you want to know if God is your provider, you look to Jesus and you will see that he is. If you want to know that that God is a healer, you look to Jesus and you see that he is. If you want to know how to have a life-giving relationship with God, you look to Jesus because he's the one that has provided it. And so what, what Ananias we see in this subscribed life is this, is that to know God, you know Jesus. When you know Jesus, you know God. And the question marks end, and now you've got periods. That everything Jesus is, God is, and Ananias knew this subscribed life. Because look at his instructions now. Look at verse 11. It says, And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at, a house, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So God gives him Ananias' instructions. But Ananias answered, <clears throat> Lord, I've heard, uh, I've heard um, from many about this man and how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. So Saul's reputation has, has spread and people know what he's doing. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so here we see this conversation between God and Ananias. We see this conversation that's full of periods, not question marks. And what I love about this conversation is how conversational it is, right? Like God says, here's what I want you to do. And Ananias goes, I've heard about this guy. And God says, here's what I want you to do, and let me tell you why. Because the guy that's giving you fear right now is going to be an incredible minister to the gospel. And I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer, but he's going to take the gospel to kings and to other nations and to the Jewish nation. And what you don't see in this conversation between Ananias and and Saul, I mean between Ananias and God, is, is, is any type of shame. It's just a conversation. 
And y'all, that's what prayer is. Prayer is this ongoing conversation with God. And, and, and when you have this subscribed life, it's not just a life of God's revelation to you, of telling him who he is. It is a life of conversation with God. You see, a subscribed life is, is an ongoing relationship with God. And it's talking and listening, and there's no shame. And Ananias questions the God of the universe, right? Like, like, like he asks, you know, he, he just wants to make sure he's hearing right. And this is the God of the universe who holds all things together. And God doesn't say, listen, chump, I told you to go do this. Go do it. He doesn't say that. He goes, oh, let me tell you what this guy's going to do. And Ananias, you get to be a part of it. And so for us, you know, sometimes we want instruction from God, don't we? And for us, where does the clearest instruction from God come from? It comes from the Bible you're holding in your hand. Like that's God's revelation to us. That's where we get to see who Jesus is and what he has done. That's where we get to hear the voice of God speak is through his word. I don't know about y'all, but oftentimes with this whole question mark and period stuff, oftentimes I want to put a question mark where God has put a period, right? Like, like there are times where, you know, since we talked about giving, there are times where, where I look at how much we tithe, and it's just a tithe. Like, like we're not super fancy, and I'm like, man, you know what I could do with that money? Right? And, and in my mind, y'all, I think this, and in my heart I think it, and I'm just being honest with you, I think, ah, the church will be fine if I don't give this money. Church will be fine. But y'all, I'm not giving to an organization. I'm giving to Jesus. Yes, the church will be fine. But I'm missing this opportunity to connect with what Jesus is and who he is and, and what he's doing and the fact that, that God's word, this clear instruction doesn't say if you give, it says when you give. Give sacrificially. There's a period there, not a question mark. Sometimes I'll think, too, just because, you know, Asheville's kind of a funky town and sometimes a funky smelling town, right? And I'll think, I'll think Jesus, do, do, do you want me to share the gospel with this person? And I'm asking that because I want the answer to be, no, it's okay. But yet God's word has already given me the clear instruction to go make disciples of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people, good smelling and bad. That part's not in there, but that's implied, right? There's not a question mark at it. And then for me, too, oftentimes, you know, there'll be this step of faith that I have to take. And leading this church, by the way, leading a church is nothing but a step of faith all the stinking time. And yet there's this part of my soul that goes, will this be the time that God doesn't come through? Will this be the time that God doesn't provide? Anybody ever feel that way? I put a question mark because here's what God has said over and over and over again. Trust me. As a matter of fact, in, in Proverbs, he goes, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways. Trust me. And I'll make your path straight. I'll make your footsteps firm. Trust. That's the period, and I put these question marks over it. I keep waiting for this revelation. I keep waiting for clear instruction when it's already 
been given to me. Right? And we can have this subscribed life where we keep the period where the period's supposed to be and don't put a question mark there. Well, look at, look at what Ananias does. Because there's no question in him. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house. He trusted God and he went. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he uh, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Ananias could see. And I mean, uh, Saul could see. Ananias obeyed. And so what happened is this subscribed person, Ananias, went to this unsubscribed person and helped them become subscribed by simply obeying God. And Saul realized that now he could see what he hadn't seen before. And this is what Ananias did. Now, what I've discovered, going back to colorblindness and going back to that research paper that I did circa 1983, on a typewriter, y'all, I typed that thing. And in preparing for this, one of the things I've seen is that they actually now have glasses for colorblind people so that they can see. And so I watched some videos about people looking through those glasses for the first time. And I'm going to show you one. And y'all, if I knew this kid, I would have him come preach this message today. Because he does. So watch this video of, Ready? of what happens. Okay. I got you some new sunglasses. Huh? Okay. But why did you make them park there? Because. Just put them on. Weird. Okay, put them on now. What? Okay. Look at your case. And tell me what color that is. Uh, wait, are are these my color? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is red. Oh my gosh, this and that's white. Look, look at the sign up there. What's that? And oh my gosh, that's yellow. Ah, don't go out there. And 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 this is black. And and, and this is white. What color is that car? Oh my gosh, it's kind of towards blue. Mm -hmm. Oh my, oh, finally I can see the colors. Oh, and, and that has a blue outline, kind of like yellow, kind of, kind of. Hey, come here. These are awesome. Yeah, hold my hand. Oh, come here. My. And look, what color is the bush right there? It's green and yellow and kind of blue and <laughs> and look at these guys over here. Mama, can I wear these to school? Yeah. I want to wear them forever. Here, look. I'm going to wear these forever, right? Right? I know. He wants to wear them forever because he can finally see. You see, that's our Jesus. And we get to see God for who he really is. You see, Saul could now see who God really is because he saw who Jesus is. The resurrection, just like it was for Saul, is your invitation to see too. And maybe you're like Saul and you aren't even looking for Jesus. But let me tell you, he is looking for you. And today can be the day that you say yes to him. Today can be the day that you see who Jesus is. And in seeing Jesus, you see who God is. That he is the one that connects you to the God of the universe. 
Because today you can say yes. But many of you in this room, you've already done that. You've already done what Saul did. You can see. Well, look at, look at this in verse 18. It says, and immediately something like scale fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. You see, what Saul did next is make this public declaration of his faith. Why? Because a lot of people were concerned, right? But he wanted to make this public declaration that, that he really is a Jesus follower. He's a part of this thing called the way. He's a part of what we call the church. He said yes to Jesus because that's all baptism is. It is a public display of an inward decision to follow Jesus and to say yes to Jesus. It's an outward picture of what God has been doing in your heart. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you said yes to Jesus but you haven't been baptized, we're doing that next week and we would love to baptize you right here. Because we want to celebrate with you what God has done. But many of you in this room have already done that. And if you want to be baptized, by the way, just come up and talk to me after the service. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. But many of you have already done it. You said yes to Jesus and, 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 and you've already been baptized. And what I want you to do and what I always try and do is try and, try and lead you somewhere in a message where there's an application for you. And maybe the application is this and it's the same one that I struggle with. That, that where God has put a period, you keep putting question marks, right? Where God has said he will provide, he will meet your need, and you keep thinking like me, maybe this will be the time that he doesn't, right? Maybe there's someone in your life that needs to hear the gospel and see the gospel in your life, and you keep thinking, really them? And you keep putting these question marks. Well, maybe for you today, the application is to put a period and let it be done, and to walk in that faith, and to walk in that trust. And like that little boy, you keep those glasses on forever, because you can see. Let's pray. Jesus, you are very good to us, and in you we do see, and we're like that little boy who's running around seeing for the very first time, and reds are reds, and greens are greens, and yellows are yellows, and, and, and Father, he's full of joy and excitement and amazement. And Father, as we go into these last, uh, this, this last little bit of singing to you, may we see you with that kind of clarity and that kind of vibrancy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.